Y'all sit down. That's ridiculous. Welcome to Church on the North Coast, everybody. Everybody watching online. I want to welcome you today. It's a pleasure to be here. I have a lot of word to give you and I have a fantastic revelation that's going to, I'm, I promise you, you're never going to look at this uh, topic again, ever in your life. You will be, anytime you think about it or you look at it in the scriptures, you will rejoice. You're going to rejoice. Uh, but before that, how many, uh, how many in the room uh, know the Matthew principle? If you know the Matthew principle. Do you know the Matthew principle? It's found in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, the, 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 the principle of the talents. Remember the, remember the talents? It's good to see you. It's good to see you, Elder. Um, well, if you're familiar with that passage of Scripture, remember, remember, remember is a short way to say remember. But you only use that expression to, to those you love. So remember in Matthew 25, where Jesus says to one he gave five, and then two, three, and one, or like two or three or one, I don't know exactly the numbers there. This thing is moving on me, so let me twist it. Well, uh, in the business world, if you, if you uh, are, are in the business world, all of the entire business world uh, knows this parable as a principle. If you go to anybody who makes enormous amounts of money and invests, they reference this text and they call it the Matthew Principle. It's a business term. You can Google it. You can go there. It's a business term known by the world as the Matthew Principle. And the Matthew Principle is simple. right? Remember, he gave five to, to some, to uh, three, uh, two. Is it two? There's two. So he gave two to another and then he gave one. And then so the guy with five, he went and he did what with it? He invested it. He invested it. That's what he did. Essentially, you boil it all down, you reduce it all down. He was an investor. He said he, he went and invested it. He came back. The one with two went and invested it. The one with one didn't invest it. He buries it. He goes and buries it. Jesus comes back and he says, okay, let's, let's, take, let's see what you did with what I gave you. Right? So, now, so the one with five Got five more, the one with two, two more. And the one with one, he rebukes. He rebukes him and says, you, you should have invested it. Oh, you should have invested it, right? And then, and then he says something very, very, here's, here's where the principle is. It's Matthew 25, verse 29. And, and here is the entirety of the Matthew principle in the Bible. For to everyone who has, what does it say? More will be given. Oh, you need to underline that, circle it, make it a 2023 scripture for the, the rest of your life. You should never look at anything the same ever again because to those who have, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and given, in, given to the one who has. This principle is all through the Bible. Remember the woman, the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was, was sick. She comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, can you heal my daughter? And Jesus says, he says, I've not been sent to the dogs, but I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. 
Remember that? And then she says to Jesus, even the dogs eat what falls from the table. Here's the principle. What the sheep disregarded and were unfaithful to, she tapped into the Matthew principle and said, just give me what they neglect. I'll do more with it than they ever would. And when Jesus sees that, he says, oh, my goodness, I'm amazed at such faith. You are, you are putting into action the Matthew principle. So the question here is this in 2023. The Matthew principle is summarized like this, and you all know this. We all know this saying. The rich get and the poor. That's the Matthew principle. That's the Matthew principle. Success breeds success. Poverty breeds it does. A mindset of lack, a mindset of victimhood. A mind, it's, it, prosperity breeds prosperity. And, and if you really dig into the text, what you'll see is that you can get to the place in your life where it becomes an avalanche of success. Do you know that there are people out there, there are companies out there that are selling products that are less, that are, that are inferior to, to companies that are selling a better product. But because they have such great success, the company that's selling a, a, a better product can't get to that place because they're operating in the Matthew Principle. Success is just this big revolution that's turning in their life. How do, you, how do you put into motion then the Matthew principle? Well, what did Jesus say? How do you put it into motion? If the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, do you believe that now? You don't believe that? You gotta be, I mean, just understand. If you don't believe that, turn the television on. Look at, look at, you know, I, I, look at neighborhoods. The, the pro proverb says this, the poverty of the poor is their ruin. But the wealth of the rich is their strong tower. It's the Matthew principle. So what did Jesus say? Okay, what did he say to do first of all? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you something. What are you supposed to do with it? You're supposed to steward it. Now, now the question to ask yourself in 2023 is, am I stewarding to the best of my ability what God has given me? I mean, examine that. Am I stewarding my marriage? Am I stewarding my gift, my talent, and my stewarding my money. This, this is about money because Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Wherever your treasure is, there's going to be your... It's the truth. It's just the truth. This is why people have such a tough time with money because they, they place more of their trust in the security of money than they do in the one who is the source of the money. Right? And so if you, if you can now... Okay, so I'll say, what has God given me now? Am I faithful with it? Brutally honest with yourself. Am I faithful with it? How do you test your faithfulness? How do you test your faithfulness? Did you invest it? Are you investing it? That proves whether or not you're being faithful with it. The tithe is the investment to, to the body of believers. It's, it's God's way of saying, let's see if you believe in my, in my ability to, to be all things that you need. The Bible says that, he shall, supply, he shall supply all of my, not your wants. You don't get what you want, you get what you, 
that if he's a supplier of needs, then you have to categorically move your wants in 2023 into the compartment of, I can't live without it. I won't live without it. This is the promise from God. I'm not going to be, I won't allow it to be a want. It has to be a need in my life. He's the supplier of every need of the believer. Exact the Matthew principle. Put into motion the Matthew principle. How do you do it? Okay, ask yourself. What, what has he given me? Always recognize what God's given you. What has God given you? Oh, he's given you so much more. The, the problem with the guy with the one is he was looking at what God gave other people, not what God gave him. And God, God makes it clear in the passage. It doesn't matter what I gave them because I can do more with what I gave you than I could with what I gave them if you'll just be faithful with what I gave you. But the problem was when we experience lack in life, we look around, we get on social media, we start examining all the people around us, and we start wondering, why do they have that, and why is God answering their prayers, and how come he's not answering my prayers? And then that causes us to grow in contempt and disdain for what God's given us. And we, we begin to then consider that what God gave us is less than what God gave Pastor Marlon. But it's not true because he says, if you'll be faithful with what I gave you, I'll, I'll take what, not only what, you, what I gave you, I'll give you back what I gave you. But then to those, now here's where it gets really interesting. And here's where you're like, if people don't want to be faithful with it, I'm just like, listen, I'm begging you to be faithful with what God give, has given you. Because if, you, if you're not, he's going to give it to me. And you're going to get mad at me because I'm walking around with stuff that originally belonged to you. So if you won't be, I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm always looking around at worship leaders because I love to worship. And one of these days I'm going to start playing and I'm going to start worshiping because one of these worship leaders isn't going to be faithful with what God's given them. And I'm like, God, just give it to me. Just give me the breadcrumbs. Just give, let me play five chords. Did you just let me play five chords? Give me a little bit of that. And then I'll, I'll right? So because it's a principle. It's a principle. And I believe this. I heard God say it to me one time in a service. He said, I've given you, I've given you the mantle of Dr. Summerall. I said, I didn't even ask for it. He said, I know, but you've been faithful with what I've given you. And because, and there have been others in the land who have not been faithful with what I've given them. They've given up. They've grown, they've, you know, they've grown wearisome in it. And they've just grown frustrated. And they've become offended. And they've walked away from what I've given them. And, and they've, you know, they've allowed the, the sin in their life to destroy them from what I've given them. You know, your sin has nothing to do with what God gave you. You know, he got a remedy for your sin. It's his blood on the cross. That's the remedy for the sin. Now stop, stop neglecting your gift because of the sin. The sin's got the remedy. But, but God can't do anything with your gift unless you invest. And I'm telling you this because this is a principle. It's, it's shameful that the world, and this, that's the Syrophoenician woman is the example of this. Because the covenant people of God didn't understand what, what this woman outside of covenant understood. If you'll just give me what falls off the table of what they, they won't be faithful with. I'll take what they won't be, just a fraction. I'll take a breadcrumb of what they won't be faithful with and I'll use it and I'll heal my daughter with it. You see what I'm saying? There's so much power. And God says, listen, if they won't be faithful with it, listen, don't beg them. Don't beg them. Don't beg them. Because eventually I'm just going to give it to those that will. So invest in 2023. Invest your time, 
your talent, and your treasure. Don't worry about, like you say, I'm not perfect. I don't, just start. Just be, just be faithful with it. If you'll be faithful with it, I promise you, God will turn your five into another five, and then he'll take the, the things that others are neglecting, and he'll put them in your pocket. He'll put the anointing in your pocket. He'll put the gift in your pocket. He'll put the money in your bank account. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's, let's give today. As you look at the screens, these are the ways to give. Thank you so much for your faithful giving. In 2022... <laughs> Let me tell you something. God's been so good in 2022. In the history of Church on the North Coast, God's never done what he did in 2022. In 2022, Church on the North Coast gave back to the community of faith over $311,000. Right back into the pews, we were able to give over $311,000 how many are believing for 2023? I want to give 500,000. I'm, I'm rebuked when I say that. Let's give a million dollars back to the community of faith. If we can do that, what we know, and here's, here's why it's good news. You say, why is that good news, man? I didn't get none of it. I didn't get none of that. Maybe you didn't this time, but maybe you will. You know what I mean? The reason it's good news is because it is, it's the indication of the strength of the blessing that rests on the believer in our church. If we were able to give a $311,000 back to our congregation, that means that this house walks in the blessing and favor of heaven, even in the middle of what they're calling a recession. Even in the middle of that, a record-breaking year for Church on the North Coast. That's all of our campuses. That's not just one campus, but that's all of our campuses. So thank you for your faithful giving. These are the ways to give. Let's give a million dollars back to our congregation in 2023. Amen. Hold it up before the Lord. Let's bless it. Father, we thank you. And thank you today for your word. It's truth. And as we sow this seed today, we give you praise. And we thank you, Lord, that as we sow it, it goes into the ground as a dollar as, as money, but it comes out of the earth as a miracle. It comes out of the earth looking like heaven. Thank you for heaven on earth right now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have your Bibles go with me to a familiar passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a what? He's going to shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Luke 17, 34 to 37 says, I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. I don't understand that, but you know what I mean? Uh, there will be one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And the answer is to him and said, where will that happen? The, these two passages are the most uh, uh, familiar passages that are used when we begin to talk about the rapture. How many are familiar with the theology of the rapture? Now, listen, I I didn't know this, uh, but I'm going to say this as I get started because I don't want you to be mad at me, but uh, 
it's a very controversial topic. I see your face. My face was the same way because I'm thinking, what's the big deal, you know? Well, the big deal is this. Some of y'all believe that Jesus is coming back pre-tribulation. Some of y'all believe that Jesus is coming back in the middle of the tribulation. And some of us believe that Jesus is coming back after the tri tribulation. Now, I just happen to be uh, the, the first. I believe it's before the wrath of God. I wouldn't, uh, I'll make that point here conclusively, but, but it doesn't make sense to me that God the Father would take his son, pour out the wrath of all mankind on his son, and that those that would believe in his son would receive eternal life, and then he would, he would then reserve wrath for the end of time to pour out on those that believed in his son for the escape of the wrath that Jesus was received from the Father. That don't make sense to me, but never mind that, okay? So, if that, but my point is this, if you believe any of that, it, it's cool, all right? If you, if you believe that he's coming back in the middle, cool. If you believe he's coming back after, that's cool. It's going to hurt a lot, but hey, that's, that's, that's what you believe. If you believe your husband, your, your, your bridegroom is going to put you through all that, well, hey, well, I just happen to believe that he loves me, and I'm, I happen to be a husband, and I would never let my wife go through what is talked about in the seven seals of Revelation. I wouldn't let her do it. I, she, was, she was bleeding and hemorrhaging one time, and I was in Israel, and it wasn't a plane fast enough to get me to her to help her go through what she was going through. So I wouldn't do that to my wife, and I don't believe Jesus would do it to his wife. And so... So I just don't want you to be mad at me. What, what, so, so whether you believe middle, before, end, what matters is that you, that here's, what, here's what matters. He's coming for you. That, don't get tangled up in the weeds of when. Just understand that he loves you. He died for you. You married to him, and he's coming back to get you. Amen? That's what matters. All right. Okay, so uh, another thing I need to explain as I get started here is context matters when you start talking about things like this. Context is very important. So whenever you examine Scripture, you need to understand this. Y'all can come. Come on in, Mark. Are you all right? Oh, okay. He gave me sign language. He said, hey, it's cool. I got this. I'm going to stay right here. Context is, is super important when you read the Bible because there's a historical context. That it's, the Bible is, is historical. If you don't believe that, then, you know, Jesus said something very interesting. He said, the Bible, in the Bible it says, I've told you these things, so when these things happen, you'll know that what I told you was true. Jesus said, Jesus said he actually said, listen, I'm telling you things telling you things before the things happen. So when the things happen, you understand that I, well, I was telling the truth about what I said was going to happen. And then you can go back and verify that every word I ever said to you is true. That's what Jesus said. I tell you these things before they happen because I want you to recognize when they happen. Man, Jesus said they was going to happen and they happened exactly like he said they happened. Now, historically, you need to understand that, like I, I heard somebody the other day say, there's something like 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. Uh, I, I haven't verified that number, so don't hold me to it. But, uh, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of prophecies in the Bible. And 
And what you can say, and then they said, so 2,000 of them, they said 2,000 of them have already been fulfilled, and we're just waiting on another 500 to be fulfilled. If 2,000 prophecies were fulfilled, then that tells me that that book that you're holding in your lap this morning is historical. It's talking about stuff that's going to happen, did happen, will happen. Amen? So he's the God of yesterday, today, and forever. It's historic. You need to understand, historically, when God speaks, through his word, it has implications on all of the humanity that's living within the time frame and the context of time, right? So historically, you need to understand what's going on. Whenever you see a scripture say, okay, what was happening historically when this thing was written? Also, you need to understand when, when, uh, when you're reading the text, you need to understand the context. Now, when I say context, now, there's a saying by Ravi Zacharias. He says, a, 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 a pretext... How does he say that? A text, a pretext without a text is at best, no. A text without a context is at best a pretext. That's what he said. That's what he said. That's what he said. Yeah, he said a text without a context is at best just a prelude to a text, basically. He's just saying, like, you might have said something, but you didn't say everything. That's basically what that means. And... So when you read the, the text, you need to understand that there is a context to what is written. And you can't just pull the text out and say, oh, okay, so, the, you know, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to, to 18 talks about, you know, there's going to be this catching away of those who are dead in Christ, and then we who are alive will be caught up in the air to meet him. You can't just pull that out, what Paul said, which is very interesting that Paul said it, right? It's very interesting that Paul is making a reference to the rapture, and he was not one of the apostles in person. He's a lot like you and I. He didn't know Jesus in the flesh, but he says he did. He said he has such a strong relationship with Jesus that he says he makes reference to his relationship with Jesus as one of the apostles. But so it's interesting that Paul offers this revelation to the rapture. Um, so one time I was preaching in Lorraine, and I, had, I was back in the days uh, of Epic, and I was doing young adult ministry, and I was trying to be cool, you know, like some of the worship leaders do. You know, Pastor Dion, he'll wear a hat, a booger hat. Like, you know what a booger hat is? When you wear the ones you wear out in the cold, you know, like a toboggan hat, he'll wear a booger hat with keys, with a big bushel of keys on his side, dirty jeans, and, and boots, and he'll be up there playing, and he'll still look cool. I tried to do that, similar, something similar back in the day. I thought, I'm going to try to be cool, I'm going to wear a hat. So I just put a hat on, and I went up and I preached in the middle of a midweek service, right? Uh, and uh, after the service, one of the elders came up to me and rebuked me hard, hard, like hard rebuked, said, said this, said, you, you, you don't know, know your Bible? And I said, I, evidently not as good as you, but what do you mean? And, and, and she said, I think I have a he or she, but they said, uh, Paul said that a man is not supposed to cover his head. I looked. That's the look I gave her. I got. Is that what Paul meant? Was Paul referencing my, my American Eagle hat, you know? No, that's not. So contextually, she pulled 
they pulled the text out, and there was no context. And they were using a text to support a pretext that, was, that had no context. And I'm like, no, that's not what Paul was taught. I didn't say that. I was very honorable. I said, oh, you know what? Maybe you're right. And from that day on, I just, hey, from now on, I'm not wearing a hat in church. And I see guys wearing it, and I'm like, how y'all get away with that? I couldn't get away with that for five minutes. So when we look at the text, when we look at the text, we're going to look at the context of the rapture throughout the Bible. And it's very important that we understand in context the culture, the culture of the day. That's very important. It's very important to note before I get started that two-thirds of the New Testament was written from the cultural perspective of Galilee. This is where Jesus was from. And so two-thirds of the New Testament contains the cultural norms of Galilee. If you've ever been there, it's up north. It's near the Sea of Galilee, up there where Cana is, the miracle that took place there. But this is where Jesus lived. He lived there. You can go and you can see where he lived. Jesus lived down the road from Peter. You can see all of... So all of the disciples were from Galilee. So their, their perspective. So when Jesus spoke to them, he would have spoke to them with the understanding of cultural norms. So if me and Marlon start talking, we can talk about things and we can, our conversation can be somewhat cloudy when we start talking because we go back so far to a place and a time that was unique just to us and it wouldn't be unique to anyone in here unless you were familiar with Campedo you don't know Campedo chances are you're not familiar with Campedo but we're familiar with Campedo that's where we were born and raised that's where we learned to play basketball that's where we went in the middle of the day to get some food from the City View Center see, see so we have a context of reference that if you were to hear the conversation or we were to write it out, you would say, what is he talking about? But, but, but what often we do is this. We often take our scenario we're in, right? This is what we do. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's okay. It's all right. What we often do is we often take what we're experiencing today and we make the Bible fit it. You see what I'm saying? We take marriage today and we say, we, make, we bend the Bible just enough to fit what we call marriage today. But marriage in the first century of Galilee would have been very unique in its cultural presentation. And I'm here to tell you that as I unfold the rapture for you today, I'm going to tell it from the perspective of a Galilean wedding. And once you see it, you will never, ever unsee what you're about to see. In a Galilean wedding, what would have taken place first? As a young man, if he was getting ready to get married, it's not like our society. Young men didn't choose who they married. That was the prerogative of the father. 
it'd be good for us to go back to some of this. It was with the understanding that the Father knows best. The Father has enough experience. The Father has enough perspective. The Father cares the most. The Father then would be, it would be natural that the Father, that the Son would entrust the Father to make that decision for Him. Because of course the Father would know exactly, He would know, He knows everything about the Son. He knows his, his, he knows what he likes. He knows what he doesn't like. He's raised them. He knows the genetic uh, 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 appetite that he has. The father would know. And so the father then, at the proper age, would tell his son, all right, son, now let's go get your bride. The father would know, and the father would tell the son. Now, in preparation for the wedding, the son would become excited. He would become, because he's becoming of age. And so what he would do, the son would run around and say, hey, you want to be in my wedding party? You want to be a bridegroom to me? Hey, we're boys. You want to, you're my best man. You're going to be my best man. And then Braxton, you, you're going to stand next to him. And then, uh, you, you're going to stand next to Braxton. All right. All right. So here's the deal. As we lead up and we know the, the, the day of the age and the time. So when we get close to it, here's what I'm going to need you to do. You're going to have to come hang out with me. So in the Galilean custom, the, the bride, the, the bride, the, the, the bridegroom, the would then gather his groomsmen together and in excitement for the day that they know is coming from the father. The father's going to say it's almost time. So in preparation for it, the bridegroom, then the groom, would gather all his groomsmen together and they would start sleeping together, hanging out real tight together. They would get real close together and because they're awaiting the day when the father will say to the son, today's the day. Let's go get your bride. Now, on that day, what would have happened is he, the father would come to the son and say, today's the day. Let's go get your bride. And what would happen on that day is the, the groomsmen would get up with the, with, let's get up, let's get up. All the groomsmen, come on, get up, get up. All the groomsmen, get up, get up. Mike, come on, Mike, help me. Come on over here. Come on over here. The groomsmen would get up and the, and the groom would, would be right here. Now, the, the best man the, for, the best man is the forerunner for the groom. He's the forerunner. Now, now woo, woo, what the forerunner's going to do, the forerunner's going to get ready, and he's going to go tell everybody because he's got to wake up the village. He's got to wake up Galilee, and he's got to let them know, yo, it's time. The father said it's time, and he starts running through the city. He said, the, the groom is coming. The groom is coming. The groom is coming. The groom is coming. And he runs through the city, and he... And he wakes up the city because he's got he's to let the bride know that it's time. It's time. It's time. you got to get up. It's time. It's time. It's time. He's the forerunner. The Bible says about John the Baptist that he was the forerunner for Jesus. And that he ran before Jesus. And he said, I'm not Jesus, but I'm the one telling you Jesus is coming, man. The husband, the groom is coming, y'all. He's coming. And as he did that, the groom, the groom and the procession of the groom would come into the city. And as they came into the city, the forerunner went before them and let the city know, come on down into the gates, get into the, we got to get by the gate. And all the elders, all the elders of, of Galilee would come out because the elders were important. They weren't finished. Just because you, 
You aged a little bit. doesn't mean you finished. So they would come because they are, now watch this, they are witnesses. You see, when we attend a wedding, we're not in the audience. We attend a wedding because we are witnesses of the greatest love story time will ever know. We are witnesses. The Bible calls you and I witnesses. And so we would all go into the, into the community and we get, we get right near the gate of the community because the gate speaks of covenant, right? And so as we gathered there, the whole community would have to come. And as we gathered there, the bride would come out. The bride would come out. And as she came out, they would be there together. I need some bridesmaids. Come on, bridesmaids. I need about six bridesmaids. Come on. Come on. Come on, get your bridesmaid. And just like, now listen, come on. Yeah, you were a bridesmaid. And just like the bridegroom, she knew what was getting ready to go down. She knew she was any day she was getting ready to get married. She knew it was arranged by the father. The father made the arrangement, so she was getting ready. He was ready. She was ready. Just like they slept together, they were hanging out together. They were excited for the day of the bridegroom's arrival. They were anticipating the bridegroom's arrival. They didn't know when, but they knew he was coming. I mean, they knew he was coming, so they was waiting for him, right? And so when he gets there, when they all get out into the community, by the elder, all the elders are there. I don't know where I do my Bible. Oh, stay right there. So what would happen at this point is the father would step forward. The father would step forward. That's, that's, yeah, that's his father. In case you were confused. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe stand right there so everybody can see. And at this moment, what the father would do is he would read the covenant contract of marriage. He would, in the hearing of everyone in the community, he would read the terms of the covenant between the bridegroom and his beloved. He would there in the hearing of everyone make it known this is what you can expect from the covenant agreement from my son. This is what my son is going to provide for you all the days of your life. We call them vows today. We say in sickness and in health, rich or broke, you know, we say all these things. But Jesus said, I am the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light in the darkness. There is no need you'll ever go to that I won't provide for you. I'll give my life for you. I'll hang on a cross for you. I'll give it all for you. And, it, and it's read by the Father. The Father goes ahead and reads it out so there's no confusion. So you fully understand the terms of the covenant of marriage that he reads for you. And the Father reads it out. He breaks it down and he says, this he says, I am the word. My son is the word made flesh. My son has taken on the garment of flesh. He is the word. He is the provider of every need. He, he reads the terms of the contract. And Jesus said things like, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus said, it is written 
How many times did you say, it is written so that you would believe the term of the contract? And I got, you know, here, this is your covenant agreement. The Bible calls you and I, the believer, the bride of Christ. And he provided a covenant contract that the Father, the Father has made clear. This, this here, this is what you can expect from the Son. He hung on a cruel cross, so every one of these promises you can take to the bank. You, you stood at an altar and you gave your covenant agreement to one another. You didn't give them just to each other. You gave it to the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said, this is the covenant agreement. And he reads it because he, he wants you to know. The Father wants you to know. If you're sick... You could be made well. He wants you to know. It's, it, it is written. It is written. So the father reads it. And then what the father would have done is he would have taken a cup. After he read the covenant contract, he takes a cup and he fills it with wine. He fills it with wine. And he gives the cup to his son. The bride and the groom come forward. The bride comes forward. Here is the moment of the wedding that matters most. Jesus said of this cup, if it's possible, let this cup Nevertheless, not my will, but the Father's will be done. Because this is my bride, I will drink from this cup. And he drinks from it. He takes a drink. Here's the moment, John, I think it's 9-1. For to those who believed, he would give them power to receive. It's a moment. All the control now is in the bride's hand. She has to choose. She can at this moment, nobody is forced into marriage. Oh, you need to hear me. Nobody can convince you. Nobody could compel you. I can't, I can't give you an intellectual explanation for the marriage supper of the Lamb. I can't, I can't break it down. I can't articulate it enough for you to, to convince your mind. It has to be an act of willing volition where you drink from the cup of the bridegroom. And, you, and at this moment, as the, bri- as the groom extends the cup to the bride, all of it, all of it is in her hands. The marriage now is in her hands. And I want you to know your salvation. The Bible says, work out your own salvation. The Bible says, listen, it's your salvation. It isn't his. It isn't your sons. It isn't your moms. It isn't your dad. It's not your grandfather. It's not your, it's not none of that. It is your decision whether you accept the terms of this covenant. If you drink from this cup, and I want you to know, once you drink from the cup, baby, it is sealed. It is ratified in the agreement. Once you take the cup of Christ, once you receive the cup of Christ by faith, you and he are You want to get married? You want to get married? Oh, you want to drink that cup, Michelle? You want to drink it? 
and she drinks the cup. She probably takes a couple of drinks. She's like, yeah, I'm going to get triple married, right? Every time, here's, here's what Jesus said about, about this cup. As often, he says this to his disciples, as often as you drink from this cup, let me remind you of what this cup represents. He says, what did he say? He's telling, his, he's telling his disciples, remember that you're married. He's telling them. He's telling them, just like the Galilean wedding and the bride, just like she received it, tonight on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup. He takes that cup and he extends it to his disciples. Now, it ain't like today. It ain't like today. I want you to know. It's not like today where you all get your own individual cup. Your lips touch the cup of the husbandman. You drink from the cup of Christ. And when you drink from the cup of Christ, when you received him, how many remember when you received him? I got news for you. On that day, you're married. And every time we receive communion, this is something we don't recognize. Every time we take communion, what we're referencing is this act right here. What we're saying to the Lord is, I'm married. And my husbandman, he's not back yet, but I'm waiting for him. He's coming for me. He's faithful. I don't have to. And so she drinks from the cup. She drinks the cup. Drink it one more time because you love your, your husband. All right. Now, after that, Here's what they do. They don't kiss. They don't, they don't go back home with each other. Here's what the Bible says happens. And here's what happens in the Galilean wedding. The bride goes back home. Go on, bride. You're going home. But the bridesmaids go with her. The bridesmaids go with her. And the groom, he goes home. And all of the groomsmen and the father... Go together with him. Jesus. Now it's interesting what happens here. You guys can go sit down now. It's interesting what happens here now. In this, in this time, they enter into. Now remember, I want you to know this. Just because they did, they're not together doesn't mean they're not. Oh. You should speak in tongues right there. Just because he's not here does not mean he's not here. The Holy Spirit, he said, it's, what did he say? I got to go away now. And what did Jesus say? He said, I got to go away now to my father's house to prepare a place for you. He said in my father, hey, he said in my father's house there are many mansions. If it was a lie, I wouldn't have told you that. But in my father's house, it's laid out. I gotta go away. It's more, he said, it's more needful that I go away and prepare a place for you. Now I'm not gonna leave you without bride. I'm not gonna leave you empty. I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. 
Spirit to come and be with you in my place. He's going to come as me, and my glory now is going to come inside of you. It's going to rest there, and we're going to be yearning for the day of the consummation of the age. And then, so, so, so we enter into a one-year waiting period. Many believe, historically, man, I got to check, where am I? Many believe historically that this one year is a testing time. There's this expression all through the Bible. In about a year from now, anytime a woman was to be pregnant, Go back to the first and second kings. The prophet would say, in about a year from now, you're going to be with child. So the approximation of a year suggests that the father wants to test the purity of the bride with time. Could it be that he tarries to test the purity of his beloved? Because what, what that one year would have done, what that one year of his absence would have done, would have proved not only her purity. Matthew 25 says there were ten virgins. That's very important. There were ten virgins. And those virgins represent the church. Those, those virgins were pure, undefiled, not run through, pure, undefiled virgins. They represent the bride. And could it be that the father, when the promise tarries, could it be that he's testing the purity and the devotion of the bride? We get frustrated because promises tarry. We get, we get mad at God because it's taken too long. But time is the way God tests the purity and the devotion of his beloved. He wants to know that you know that, they, that you are married, that there is no breaking the bond. It has been sealed and ratified by the blood of his son. So she goes away, and now her job, now see, here's where we miss it because we get all tangled up with the time issue. But, but what happens when the bridegroom goes away and what, what the business of the church while Jesus tarries in return is what? What did Jesus say? He said, he said here's what I want you to do. Now, I need to, I need to find this text for you. So you'll, uh, oh, uh, Luke 19, 13. He said this. So he called ten of his servants, see that number ten there, delivered to them ten minas, and he said to them, what did he say to them? Do business until I return. He said, do business until I get back. What was Jesus saying? Hold this down till I return. Right? Jesus says, to, the bridegroom said, you go get your dress ready. So the, bride, the, the bridegroom says to the bride, go get ready. Because when I come back, you're going to be wearing your garment that is spotless, without wrinkle or blemish. He says to her. So her business is she's got to go get ready. She's got to go prepare herself. She's got to occupy, prove her purity and her devotion to the husbandman. The groom then 
goes away and he's working on building a place at the Father's house. Now, we knew this in part, right? How many knew this revelation in part? You knew like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. But contextually, what you're seeing is that the groom now goes and prepares a place in the Father's house. Now, what's important that you see here is that the place, what's important that you see here is that the groom doesn't come and live with the bride in her place. The bride comes and lives with the groom in his place. And when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, I want you to understand, it's not like this place. It's, It's at the Father's house. It's where the Father resides. Your place, you, you're just, this is just temporary. This is just a temporary, you know, spot where we're hanging out bef- until the consummation of the marriage. But what's important that we don't get caught up. So what, what Jesus was saying was, what the bridegroom was saying was, don't get all caught up with this place. Don't get all, don't get all tangled up with where, what you're going through here. I want you to understand, I'm going to give you, get you a nice place, a place way better than this. No, don't put your eyes and your focus on all of this. Put your eyes and your focus on the place that I I'm going to prepare for you. Put all of your attention on that place. Don't put your attention down here. Put your attention up there because that is where you're going. The bride, as she slept together, just like the groom, they're together. They would have slept with her bridesmaids. He would have slept with his groomsmen. The bride, it is said, once the bride got her dress, she never took it off. She slept, it said, she sleeps in her dress. Because Matthew 25 says that the Son of Man, He's coming at a time that no one knows except the angels in heaven, not even the angels in heaven, except the Father. He said the Son doesn't know, the angels in heaven don't know. Only the Father knows. And so, and, he, and then he gives the parable now. He gives the parable in Matthew 25. He gives the parable of the ten virgins of the bride. And he says, what does he say? Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And it says that no man knows the, the day or the hour that the Son of Man comes. But in Matthew 25, it alludes to the, the, the bride And the bridegroom's arrival in the dark. So she knew. So even though we don't know when Jesus is coming back, we do know that it's going to be dark. The darker it gets, the more prepared we must be. The darker time gets, the more oil we must live with. The Bible tells us to be what? Full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. And the oil in Matthew 25 is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And and he says, those who had the oil had light in their darkness. And they were prepared for his arrival. She knew, the bride knew, that Jesus was coming at night. She knew he was coming at night. So she had to sleep with her dress on. Her dress is a reference to the righteousness 
of Christ. It is a reference to the garment of Christ that's provided to the bride once she receives salvation, once she receives the invitation to marriage. Once she's married, she puts on the garment of Christ, the righteousness. I am the righteousness of Christ in the Lord. I am now wearing the garment of Christ. He, my righteousness is not my own. It is provided for me from the contract that the Father read and the Son provided on Calvary. I now wear the I don't wear my own righteousness. I wear what the, what the husbandmen provided for me, and I have to, I can never take it off. You can never take it off. It, you have to be what? Ready. You have to be full and ready for his imminent return. There's a story in the Bible that says, how'd you get in here? At the Lamb's book, at the, Lamb's, at the, at the Supper of the Lamb. And there's a man that walked in, and he had the right clothes on. And they walked up to him, and they said, how'd you get in here? He said, well, I was invited. He said, you don't have the right clothes on. You can't be in here. You see, I want you to understand, you can't get into the marriage supper of the Lamb without the garment of Christ. It's not by your own efforts. It's not by what you do or you don't do. It's only by the provision of the Son and the Father. It's only that way. You can only get to heaven through Jesus. He is, there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that is through the garment of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. And so, we know he's coming at night. Matthew 25 tells us he's coming at night, and so we got to be ready. Five were ready. Five weren't ready. And the five that were ready... We're full. They were full, of, they were full with oil. Now what I, I want you to understand is all ten of them had access to the oil. Five of them, just because you have access doesn't mean you're full. You need to hear this preaching now. That means... You, Every, all, ten, all ten were saved. All ten. All ten knew the Lord. All ten of them. But only five were full. That means you could be saved, but not filled. If you're saved, but you're not filled, you can't get in. If, if you're saved, but you're not filled, you got no light for the darkness that's coming. So you got to make sure that you got enough light for your night. Because the night, when the night comes, we can't work. We can only work in the day. We got to get ready while, while it's daytime. We got to get some oil in us. We can't, it can't just be out here. We can't just say, hey, hey, when it happens, I'm going to come get some. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you got to have, no, no, you got to get your own, sis. You got to go get your own. I love you, but you got to go get your own. Because I can't, I can't risk not being ready. I know I'm saved, but I got to be full. So when he comes, I can love like my fire, I, I could go out into the community and say, I'm ready, Jesus. I'm ready. Let's go on. Let's get married. Let's get up out of here. So you got to have, you can't just be saved. You got to be full. I, that's part two of this message. I'll, I'll preach that later. It says there's going to come a, there's going to come a time. I'm closing now. There's going to come a time 
It's going to be in the middle of the night. It's going to be dark and it's going to be scary. And there could be wars, rumors of wars. It could be a great falling away. The Bible says it's going to be a great falling away. And Matthew 25 tells us it, it alludes to that. Just think, of the, just think of the great falling away. Because there'll be five saved virgins that don't get it. There's going to be a falling away. Five of them ain't going to be full enough to endure the darkness that's coming to the earth. Matthew 25 is telling us darkness is coming, man. Darkness is on its way, man. It's coming. Darkness is here, and it's going to get darker and darker and darker. That tells us we got to get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. You got to get ready. How do you get ready? You get full. You got to get ready. How do, you, how do I get ready? I got to get full of the Holy Ghost. I got to be full of the Spirit. I can't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. I got to be full of the Spirit. I got to be ready because it's coming. Because any, any night, any day, any second, it says this. It says in 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to read it for you because I want you to see this. It said, the Lord himself, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. The Lord himself is going to descend. Jesus is coming back. And you say, why should I be excited about this? Why is there comfort in this? Woo, woo, woo. He's coming back. And he's so excited. I want you to see this. You ain't never seen this. Watch it. He's so excited that when he starts to come back and he breaks into the atmosphere that is visible, it says that he's going to shout with all of heaven. He's going to shout, Jesus, the Lord himself is going to descend. And he's going to come down and he's going to say, hey, I'm ready. God, where are you? God, where are you? He's going to be excited. He's so excited. He's going to be so excited. Jesus, you're going to make Jesus shout. And just like he shouted the name of Lazarus, remember when he did that? He shouted. The Bible says he shouted. The same word. He shouted the name of Lazarus at the dead tomb. Four days dead. He said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. No stink on him. Jesus wants to take the stink off of you. No stink on him. Came out of the grave. And Jesus said, when I come back, I'm going to shout for all of my bride. I'm going to shout for her, and she's going to what? She's going to rise. Give me a chair. Give me a chair. Give me a chair. I don't want to mess with it. Give me a chair. Groomsman, come here. Come here, groomsman. Sit right there. He said he's going to come, and he's going to shout. Grooms, I need my groomsman to come up here. I need you now, for sure, for sure. The groom's gonna shout. And then the archangel is gonna blow the shofar. Because in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, the archangel wakes up those who, who are in Christ. The shout of the Lord is gonna, is gonna rise you. I almost passed out the other day doing that it said when that happens everyone who is asleep 
get up. And those who have oil are going to come out into the gate. They're going to come out of their houses. They're going to come out of their communities. They're going to come out. They're going to come out. Why? They're coming out for the man of the land. And they're coming out. They're coming out. They're coming out of addiction. They're coming out of depression. They're coming out. They're coming out. And the groomsmen, they bring, oh, they bring the seat right to the feet. I forget what it's called. It's called a, something they bring this they bring this chair like thing they bring this chair like thing it's got poles on it and the, and the groomsmen would have carried it on this night because then they heard that when the father said it is time son it is time it is time it is time they would have immediately jumped they all would have jumped up and they would have taken this thing and they would have went to the bride and the bride would have came out because she heard him call because the bride heard him call oh the bride heard him call and she heard the call she heard the call of a beloved man she heard the call of a beloved and she came out of her house she came out of her house and then the, bride, the groomsmen sat the, the, the seat down in front of her. And this is what she did. She walks over. She takes the seat. And says, the dead in Christ. Says that the dead. He said, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. He said, bride, I'm coming. Get up. Get ready. The angel of God's going to blow a trumpet and the dead in Christ are going to rise before us. Then we who are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up. We're going to be caught up. We're going to be lifted out of the air. And what happens on this day is when, the, when what would have happened in the Galilean wedding is they would have sat it down. She would have sat down and the groomsmen would have lifted her. Lift her up. Go ahead. Lift her. Don't drop her. Don't drop the bride of Jesus now. Don't drop her. They were the lift. And it says the dead in Christ are going to go first. But we who are alive are going to be lifted from the earth. We're going to be called away to meet him in the air. Thus we shall be with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I'm married. I'm consummated. Set her down now. But I want you to see conclusive evidence. Piece together. All through the text. I just laid it out for you. All through the text. From the context of a wedding. Greatest love story ever told. It says at the end of the age. The end of the age. They're going to be taken away. They lift her. They take her to the chambers of the Father's house that the Son prepared for her. And only those only those who are ready get to come in. I'm not telling you this. I'm going to show you in the Bible where this says only Revelation 19, 7 says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And Matthew 25, 10 says, and while they went, 
to go get some oil. The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. Once the door shut, nobody opens it. Once you cross over, it's open. Nobody can open it. It's, it's done. It's finished. Jesus, you see, Marlon loves Michelle too much. He's a more, if Marlon is a more honorable husband, to lead and to leave his wife to suffer wrath, Jesus certainly greater husband to us than I am to my wife. So he would not endure me to suffer the wrath. Thank you. So as we close, I don't know if they gave you the communion elements, but if you could quickly disperse them, I want to want to do this with you. the bread in your hand. Jesus said this, now you're the bride. Understand. Jesus said, this is my body. It's broken. My body, broken for you. This is the covenant proves promised you. This, this right here tells you what my body broken provides to every believer in me. And every time we eat this bread, we realize Jesus. Jesus has made provision. He said, I got to go away because I got to make provision for you. I got to go away because the provision that I need to make for you, I can't make it here. The provision you need, you will own, it, it will be the great, it will be a greater demand 
than the earth can provide. And the provision you need can only be satisfied with where I'm going. You need where I go to come to where you are. And when you eat the bread, what you remind yourself is, is you have greater provision than you do need. That your provision is eternal. The earth can't provide it. Jesus has provided. That's what this means. Our, our husband, our groom, the bridegroom, has satisfied every covenant requirement. He provides healing for the sick, deliverance to the oppressed, joy to the depressed, everything. We remind ourselves that he is our everything. He's a good, he's a good man. He's a good husband. He loves me. He loves me so much that he provided everything I need. And when I receive this, I remind myself that I'm married. Oh, man, I have a covenant of marriage. This is right here. This is it. This is the altar call today. If you're not married, get married. The Father gives the cup. You take the cup. Now, once you receive the cup, this is what it represents the covenant of betrothal. Once your lips touch this cup, what you're saying to Jesus is, I'm married. And just because you're not here doesn't mean I'm not married. I'm married. I, we have not consummated our marriage yet. We will when you call us up and you catch us away. I, I wait. And what my job is now, I'll stay ready. I'll stay ready. i hold it down here for you, Jesus, because all authority you gave to me, all power you've given unto me, so I hold it down. I occupy till you get back. I keep my dress. I keep it pure undefiled I sleep in it I don't never come out of it not by my own righteousness but only by yours but as you take this cup today once and for all I'm married if you want to get married go ahead and take the cup Jesus Get your bride. 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 Holy Spirit. Now just lift your hands this way to fill. I fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit. Oil of God. Pour into my life. Fool is ready. Ready is full. Oil of God, fill every crevice and crack of my life. Fill me to overflowing. I want to be full. I want to be ready. I don't want to be caught looking, longing, searching. I want to be ready. 
There is now therefore no condemnation to those who wear the bride of the garment of Christ. You have been set free. You were born again. You are married. You belong to him. Nothing you can do. You can't take it off. Jesus, we bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Now from this day forward, we, with anticipation and excitement, hold it down here. But we can't wait, Jesus, till you call our name and we rise like Lazarus to meet you in the air. Bless your people today. You bring healing. You bring joy. You bring conviction where there needs to be conviction, but only because you allude to the righteousness that belongs to us. Not to condemn us, but to lead us into righteousness. Holy Ghost, fire now. Set us ablaze. Let us be burning in the night. Darker it gets, more ready I become. I bless you today, Jesus. You're here today. You've never given your life to Christ. Pray this prayer with me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to forgive me my sin. I repent. Come into my heart. That's where the issues of life come from. Take my life now. Fill it. Use my life to destroy the works of the devil. I give it to you. In Jesus' name. Pray that prayer you're born again. Altar ministers are going to make their way forward. If you'd like prayer today, we'd like to pray for you. You're here today. You're not in a life group. I'll tell you how you get full and stay full. Fellowship creates fullness. Fellowship. You want to get closer to the Holy Ghost? Fellowship. You want to get closer to the Holy Spirit? Fellowship with your brothers and sisters. The power of the gospel is only known in relationships, not in word only, only known in relationships. The more powerful relationships, the more powerful the presentation of the gospel in your life. Connect with one another before you leave. I love you. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard. We'll see you Wednesday night. God bless you.